The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures. We're going to be talking about um, the implications of cloud, particularly as we enter the SaaS area, um, the SaaS era. So just just very quickly about the way we're going to structure this for everybody that's listening. Listen, we've got a fantastic panel. They will introduce themselves. Then we're going to talk a bit about the piece just to go over it for those of you that didn't read it. Um, and then we're going to basically have a free-for-all, um, both for, for, against cloud, et cetera. Corey, do you mind giving a quick intro on your background relative to this stuff? Sure. I'm Corey Quinn. I started a consultancy a few years back that fixes the horrifying AWS bill, which seems like a problem that is getting more and more attention because the bill never gets smaller on its own. I've become a pundit, which more or less means I shoot my mouth off without regard to consequences or who I'm potentially offending. And it, it sort of has taken on a life of its own from there. Awesome. Thanks, Corey. Uh, Zach. Hi, I'm Zach Cantor. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Steady. Uh, we're a, a team of about 60 people. We build. Um, we don't build data centers. Um, we, we try to build as much as possible without building uh, building data centers. I have no plan to go back to data centers. We are uh, an AWS shop um, uh, distributed across 12 countries and um, uh, here to talk about why you shouldn't repatriate and, and um, probably hopefully responsible for a lot of those uh, misquotes of, uh, of, uh, of, that, of that piece. Awesome. Steve. Hey, Steve Tuck, uh, co-founder, CEO of Oxide Computer Company. Not a cloud economist, but certainly aspire to be. Uh, so try and follow Corey uh, as much as possible. But the um, my background spent most of my career in cloud was at a public cloud provider uh, joint for about 10 years. So lived it on the service provider side, on the customer side, and at Oxide today, we are building a modern server that comes kind of looks much more like the cloud hyperscaler infrastructure you'd see in their data centers, hardware plus software. And our view is that cloud is the right substrate. It just should be available to own as well as rent. And so uh, looking forward to the discussion today. All right, Costadis. Uh, yeah, hi, my name is Kostadis Rusos. I'm the uh, architect for vCenter and vCF product, uh, which is VMware's software solution that runs across multiple clouds. And before that, I spent four years at Zynga where I discovered what Martin produced in a paper where we found out that you know running your own data centers and running your own infrastructure was about third cheaper than using uh, AWS. And uh, hey, can, I, can, I, can you re can you repeat that, please? I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> so at Zynga, when we ran our cloud infrastructure, it was a third cheaper than AWS. Um, and you know, there was a great team. It was an awesome team. It was a fantastic team. But the conclusion we arrived at is it's cheaper. And every time I talked to any infrastructure uh, developer, the answer was it was cheaper. The tr the tricky bit was that it was how do you build it so your your systems are multi cloud? And you know, my, my view has always been that multi cloud is the right answer. There is no single cloud vendor that is the correct answer and that uh, to quote steve if cloud is the great substrate the question is how do you get it and what flexibility do you have and how do you leverage competition in the marketplace all right i feel so unfair that i allowed you to do that preamble with your intro but i also asked for it so i will make sure that like we give others the ability to to, to respond but before that i want to finish intros uh ben please 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Ben Schechter. I'm co-founder and CEO of Vantage. Vantage is a cloud cost transparency platform. In a super simplistic sense, we provide a suite of analytics tools and dashboards for AWS customers to track where their costs are coming from. Uh, my background is in software engineering, where I manage server infrastructure on behalf of a variety of companies, and then worked in a technical product management capacity at public cloud infrastructure companies. Uh, yeah, so the, the most relevant experience that I have is uh, I managed product for DigitalOcean's Droplet product, uh, which is kind of their core compute products, the equivalent to EC2. And then I worked at AWS in a product management capacity uh, on their container services team. So kind of spanned across the spectrum of container service products they have, but primarily focused on ECS and Fargate. And then for the year prior to starting Vantage, I briefly worked on the technology side of the house for a Wall Street firm. So kind of deeply know the, the intersection of like finance and technology. So I've been talking about this stuff forever and I'm psyched to be here and just be talking about cloud costs, I would say. <laughs> awesome. Okay, great. Listen, so actually I'm very happy. Sarah was able to join for a few minutes. Sarah um, actually did a lot more work than I did on the piece um, and she has to leave at 4.15. So I think we'll just actually take this opportunity. Sarah, do you mind introducing yourself and then actually maybe doing a quick overview of the core findings in the piece? And then we'll just use that to kick off the discussion. And I'm so glad you're able to join. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys, thanks for, for joining this, this panel. Sorry to be only to join for the, the beginning. Um, great. Well, I'm a partner at A16Z focused on late stage investments, um, which can be somewhat nebulously defined. But uh, typically, we start after companies reach product market fit and then can go all the way through to the, to the IPO, um, investing out of a, a $3 billion plus fund. Um, you know, in terms of the, the piece, um, maybe I'll start with what it's not, and that can help. Uh, <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can help, uh, you know, I think, um, transition to what, what it is a piece on. And, um, you, you know, I think the first two things that uh, Martine and I uh, probably did not want to communicate is, one, um, that Dropbox is an example that can generalize to everyone. Um, you know, absolutely not. And then the second piece is it's also not, an argument to repatriate all of your, your workload. So I'll just start there on, on saying, hey, this is what the piece is not. Um, but really what we wanted to do was reframe, you know, I think there's this dominant narrative out there of, of cloud is great. And it's so widely accepted that it's almost become, um, you know, a, a, a love good in a, in a sense where it's almost an unquestioned, um, you know, I think an unquestioned premise in terms of how to run your infrastructure, what, what the goal is. And what Martine and I wanted to do in this piece was say, hey, you know, this is a blank check mentality that's, um, you know, I think the industry narr dominant narrative. And let's actually take a critical look at it and see what the impact is. And not just the dollar impact, which I think has been studied and, um, you know, I think evaluated and analyzed already. It's, it's not something new that we're necessarily adding the conversation, but really to think about, hey, when you are at scale, and you decide to go the route of going public, um, you know, what is truly the impact to something like market cap? And that's where you think, hey, every dollar saved, that drops the bottom line, and that is magnified by the valuation multiple that you're receiving. 
And so when you think about cost and the true cost of cloud is, is not, again, just the savings to your COGS or your cost of goods sold, but really what the cost is to something like your market cap and, and capitalization, uh, not, not to get too deep into this, is, is, by virtue, is, you know, is really thinking through, hey, this is a dollar saved, not this year, but every year. What does that actually look like if you were to bring all of that forward um, into a you know today's terms? And that would just be your your market cap. Um, so uh, you know I think the piece there is trying to say is is really trying to look at what that cost is, and then the implication of that is again not to repatriate, but to think critically about this before you get too big and it's too late. And there are a lot of you know ways you can optimize that we cover in the piece, and that you know we brought experts on this panel to talk about. But that's sort of the the quick overview. Perfect. Great. So I'm going to say just two minutes of things, and then I would love to actually have Zach and Corey in particular decide whether like this totally uncontroversial thing I'm about to say is actually uncontroversial. So the, the <laughs> listen, the reason we did the piece is because in the last five to six years, we've seen a lot of IPOs in, in the infrastructure sector where you've got SaaS companies a lot more than we've seen in the past. And when you do the economics of SaaS companies, I'm not talking enterprise. Like, listen, I used to run a $600 million a year enterprise data center business. Like, I totally get the enterprise, but like, it's not that. These are new companies, they're SaaS companies that are IPOing. If you look at their cost breakdown, if you look at their actual COGS, 50 to 80% is cloud, which is just unbelievable. And so the result of the piece is like is, is two things. We basically found two things. The first one is if, if you do the numbers, a large portion of the COGS is cloud, 50% on average. And then the second one is we do a margin-adjusted analysis by saying, okay, listen, if, if you can reduce that by a factor of two, what does that do to market cap? And across the 50 companies we studied, the impact's $100 billion, man. Like, <laughs> like there's a few hundred billion dollar markets in all of infrastructure. That's like all of OLTP or something. So we're talking about a ton of money that's impacted. Now, the implications themselves like that's, you know, listen, we're going to have a good fun talking about that. But like, that's basically the result of the piece, which is a relatively new phenomenon of COGS for SaaS companies being high and it impacting market cap. So Zach and Corey, first, I just want to make sure, like, do you think that's valid? Do you think it's new? Do you disagree with at least those statements? Zach, yeah, should look, take it or should I? I'm, I'm happy to, to kick it off. You don't mind, Corey? So, so look, I, you know, ultimately, it's it's hard to deny that that your AWS costs or, or GCP or Azure or, or whatever it might be is uh, is a meaningful part of Cogs. But you know, the 50%, other part of Cogs. I just want to be clear. I want to be clear. 50%. Well, sure, but but, but you've got but the, but, the, but the rest of but the rest of Cogs is is you know, so you've got a bunch of engineers in there, and if you went off and you started firing engineers in order to save on Cogs, that would that would not be a a, a good use of your uh, of, of your resources or, or good optimization of resources. Like ultimately, you know, when you're dealing with all these companies who are spending um, at IPO or post IPO a tremendous amount of money with the cloud, it's a classic survivorship bias. And as Sarah mentioned, there's things that you could do early on to optimize so that you can, you know, make it easy to to repatriate your cloud work, uh, uh, workloads or, or move between clouds or anything like that. But that's the precious time that you're spending building for a future that might not ever come in order to potentially save money and 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 you know already the 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 likelihood of success is so low for a software company that anything you do that 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 distracts you from your core mission 
of building you know great software for your customers um god forbid somebody reads this and after the 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 seed round <laughs> you start optimizing um to, to go hybrid cloud or multi-cloud or, or or repatriate in the future you know the number of ipos is going to drop by an order of magnitude now okay. you can look at these companies where you know once they're already uh, uh spending a tremendous amount of money it's post ipo like you know uh, of course it makes sense to try and save money on your cogs but that's what you know businesses like Corey's are, are there to do to help you save the money Okay, great. Okay, this listen. Uh, I appreciate you've covered a lot of ground there. You, you did bring up repatriation. I wish we turned this into like a drinking game, so we'd all be drunk within like the first five <laughs> minutes. But I think we can we can talk a little bit about this prior to talking about repatriation. But one topic I think is very very important is if, if something is a meaningful part of Cogs, does it make sense to allocate engineers to reducing that, or should you just focus on growth? I do want to make the point that the clouds decided at much, much smaller ARR that they wanted to basically build switch firmware and servers for exactly this reason. Steve, I know you have a lot of experience. You used to run Joyent. You're at Samsung. So I know you have a lot of experience with this. I would love for you to talk to you. Like, do you think it makes sense to allocate engineers early on for optimization or should you just focus on growth? Per, 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 Zach's, per Zach's comment. It, yeah. I mean, I hate to say it depends, but it... It, it, you know, I think the depending on on the phase of the company and what what is you know what what is at the highest level of priority, um, I, I do think it is important to spend some engineering cycles looking at just the quality of the product overall. And you know, we I know the focus today is going to be on cost, and that is a very key metric as these large software companies are taking a look at whether they're going to remain public cloud only or contemplate what might, how they might support the business beyond the, the cloud. Um, but the other drivers that are pulling on this, in, in which I think speaks to some of the comments Zach made, are actually fu functions of growth. And where you've got these large software companies that are selling B2B to the enterprise, and the enterprise is using their platform for 10%, 15%, 20% of their data, the large enterprise is going to continue to have infrastructure assets and, and needs off the public cloud. And what they're looking for and what these large software companies are looking for, those that, that I've spent time with, are how do we stay on cloud as a substrate, but be able to deliver our value proposition, our, our services beyond just the public multi-tenant model. And so for that, I very much think it makes sense to invest engineering resources to figure out how they can expand the business from servicing these clients, public cloud only, to, uh, to to beyond that substrate. And then, yes, there are cost implications that come beyond that. I think we're all in agreement there's potential cost savings there. Uh, the question for a lot of companies is, is it worth it? Is there value there? And I, I, one, I, I, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, no, Corey. Well, one, I just want to make one point of clarification here. If you wind up replacing your cloud spend with your own data centers that you build out yourself and then you buy a bunch of servers and shove them in there, you're dropping the effective uh, COGS portion to zero because COGS is a portion of OPEX. CAPEX is where the rest of that stuff goes. If you want yep. to classify cloud spend as part of CAPEX, uh, please don't. There are ways to do it <laughs> that are increasingly being reinterpreted and not in your favor, and you probably don't want to do this. But it's, it's less a question in many respects of is it less dollars and cents out the door total as opposed to what bucket does it go into and understanding that bucket. Yep. Well, okay. I mean, 
So it, let me channel let me channel what the OEMs would say. The OEMs say most people that are doing their own data centers, like what Costadis and I used to sell into, they actually have a good OpEx model. Like when you talk about repatriation, it's not like they're like buying data centers and doing the HVAC and yada, 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 right? I mean, like this normally is a full OpEx model where it's kind of managed hardware. And so it's just kind of like a lower margin way of getting infrastructure. So I, I think that there's a sliding range there. But, but before... But before we get to that, and like, Corey, I, I totally get your point. Um, uh, a lot of this is actually understanding what the cost model is, which I don't think a lot of people do. And I know Ben has a lot of experience from that. And what's interesting is, like, Ben, you actually were at AWS and yep. you were at DigitalOcean. Yep. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about, like, A, like, how much of a problem is not knowing this, Ben, so that we can then at least in this discussion tackle that problem? Yeah, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. So uh, let me just say this. So I think like as it relates to the post, there's like no doubt that public cloud infrastructure is accelerated innovation, uh, which like companies can develop their businesses. And the decision to repatriate is like, you know, from my perspective, entirely for bespoke workloads at scale companies. It's entirely personal, uh, like a personal business decision. And what we try and do advantages, I mean, we say like, we'll give you the tools to analyze your cloud spend and cloud spend isn't inherently bad as as Zach kind of mentioned. Uh, what's bad is, uh, <laughs> you know, wasted cloud spend or something along those lines. And that's what we try and try and take a look at on your behalf. But to your point, Martin, like, I think like from what we've seen, the vast majority of customers don't even know, like they get 12 times a year, in an AWS bill, they don't know exactly what's contributing to it. They know that it's like predominantly, uh, predominantly like you know, compute based and and storage and memory and things along those lines. But when you actually start to dig into it by business unit, by service, by team, it starts to get a little little bit more nebulous. And so yeah. we see that we see this problem like extending down to like even the SMB and startups. Like we have you know thousands of people who are who are tackling their cloud cost problems like in the hundreds or thousands of, of dollars just to even understand like what they're spending money on. And so I think like the first stage of this whole thing is how do you get visibility onto your spend? What are the trends there? Then there's kind of like the optimization problem. And in these at scale companies, there's like maybe in certain cases, this this conversation that happens about whether you repatriate a portion of the workload. I know I said repatriation like five times or whatever, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the discussion like happens from there. Right. So yeah. our, our stance is like, we're fairly neutral. We'll give you the tools to like analyze the bill and go from there. All right. Let, let me, let me, let me actually dig into again, one more point that, that Zach made and then I'm going to bring a Costadis on this one. Um, Cause I just think that this, this is such a fundamental argument. I'm glad that Zach is taking a strong stance on it. Cause I've got another strong stance. Um, which is there is a view that says, listen, you should only do your core competency. You should invest in growth. You shouldn't distract the engineering team, right? Like, but in order to make that trade-off, you actually have to think about cost. And I think when when people at least looked at this analysis, like increasing market share, like let's say you're a SaaS company where 60% of your COGS, 60%, let's say you're a deck of billion dollar company, 60% of your COGS is AWS. If you reduce that by 50%, let's say you get $2 billion increase in share price. Like, what can you do with $2 billion? It turns out you can do a lot with $2 billion, man. Like, this directly goes into, like, equity, right? You can raise money with equity. You can get debt based on it. You can use it to hire people. I mean, like, this is a ton of money. 
And so, and so, and exactly, I definitely want you to, 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 to respond to that, but I, I like, Costadis has actually done this before. So I, I would like it from a VP of engineering that's actually done a repatriation that was actually successful. Like, how do you think about the trade-off between cost and defocusing your engineering team? Well, so first of all, I'm a principal engineer, not a VP of engineering. So I, I'm, but I, I, oh, I, 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 oh, I thought at Zynga you were. I was a chief engineer there, which was kind of a weird title. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it, was, it was being a VP of engineering without being having people reporting to me. Um, okay. I had some, I had somebody else doing that. Uh, the, the, the fundamental challenge that we observe is that, you know, there comes this point in time when the business interests of the public cloud vendor and the business interests of your, your business interests aren't perfectly aligned. And so what Kadir Lee uh, divined early on is that we needed to have flexibility in our choices. And so he and uh, Alan Leinwand decided to build a AW, uh, to build a private cloud infrastructure that would allow us to easily migrate between AWS and um, and uh, our own data centers, which were called ZCloud. And so we made a lot of deliberate choices in terms of the infrastructure we built, how we built it, what it, the design of it, so that it would look very similar to what AWS uh, was. And so the question was, like, how much did this defocus us? You know, this is one of those interesting long-term conversations you have. But when, you're, when we were growing from, like, 100 people to 3,000 people, the 100 or so people we had working on this were a drop in the bucket compared to the hundreds of people we had working in almost every function, other function. The other thing to think about is that it didn't require you know, a large army to pull it off. What it required was a lot of careful, deliberate thinking by a small number of people. And that's the part that always kind of befuddles me, is that it's not, we can't say, oh, this is going to require armies of people. No, actually, it's not. It's going to require a small number of people. And when we did the math, what we concluded was, look, for what is essentially the size of one of our games, we could get all of this leverage and get all of this value and decouple us from Amazon's business objectives so that we can have the freedom we wanted. And a lot of the optimizations we got were that basically Amazon wasn't selling RAM at the rates at which we could buy it and shove it into a physical server. Uh, that allowed us to get to a much higher consolidation ratio and allowed us to get much better density of the servers and allowed us to get much better value and revenue. And, and so to me, this is about like, should, and, and we didn't start with repatriation. We started with, like, how do we optimize all of our workloads? How do we shrink all of the, the server costs? How do we get rid of all of the – we did all of the things that Corey and others talk about. But at some point in time, you're looking at this massive AWS bill, and we needed to save cash. And this was it was either fire a whole bunch of engineers or make it work. So, I, you know, to me, this is about, about making that – doing that process and always doing that process. Yeah, and Kostadis, exactly. just to just to add to that, we uh, so for those that followed Joint's journey, uh, Joint got acquired by a very large consumer electronics company that had uh, begun to dip their toe into the cloud in 2012, trying to play catch up with their biggest competitor, who was a software first device where they were selling, you know, processor speed and camera quality, and they needed to bring that software ecosystem into the future and used the cloud to do that for all the reasons that you know we'll talk about today and Zach described and having the engineers work on features. Um, but they got to a point where on that platform, they were entirely upside down. And, and just the cost of it because of the unit economics in their particular scenario meant that it was not a question of what would we prefer to do? But they actually had to make a change to be able to improve the unit economics of that by 30, 40%. And it did require investment. Uh, but on, on the horizon, that was the only option. Uh, to keep that service profitable and to be able to expand and grow and market. Um, and that, you know, that was 
They also were interested in the vertical integration that was possible there to be able to have better observability and and be able to kind of because the the service itself is both hardware and software. But um, they they realized on the order of thirty five percent savings, uh, kind of fully loaded with people acquisition, et cetera. Um, all right, all right. Um, I, I want I want to pull Zach back into this to actually talk to exactly this point. So thanks, Steve. Thanks, Costada. So, so, so Zach, I, I just want to understand, and maybe Corey, how categorical you are on this. Which is, like, do you believe <laughs> there is no situation in which um, it makes sense for a company? We might as well just talk repatriation to to think about repatriation. And let me just structure it very quickly, and then then have it. Which is. The, the situations that I am referring to is public company. So actually, this directly impacts your cash, right? Because it impacts your share price. So public company, decabillion dollars. So you already have like large operations teams, etc. SaaS. So it's part of your cog. So I'm not talking about enterprise. I'm not talking about startups. I'm talking about like a large SaaS company where 50% of the cogs are in the cloud, where your growth has started to slow. So actually, COGS really matters, and it is tens of billion. Like in that case, do you still think it's stupid to think about repatriation? There, there's a, there's a number of pieces here. So number one, you're talking about this idea. You know, you started off by giving this example of of you have this company, and it's fifty uh, percent of their of their COGS are, are being spent on on cloud. Yes. And you know they they make this uh, decision to to optimize you know maybe by doing a hybrid cloud maybe by by repatriating uh, whatever it might be. And you're saying yes. well they could add two billion dollars to their to their market cap, but you know yes. really you look at a company like Datadog which you which you cited in in this piece where right. they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars with, with AWS over a multi year period. They opted to not add two billion dollars to their market cap by optimizing right. for cogs, and instead right. they added twenty billion dollars to their market cap by focusing on product and growth. Now, right. on the other side, you have companies like like um, uh, Dropbox and Zynga who went through multi-year periods, you know, uh, you know, half a decade, whatever it is, of of flat uh, market cap. And they've gone this model of of repatriating and saving all this money and all that, but yeah, like it, where where is it showing up? It's not showing up in the market cap of the company, unless you're saying, well, it would have declined by X billions of dollars if they if they hadn't done this. So no, this the, is, the examples are just not they're they're not panning out. Um, no, this is and, no. I know, think it, this is great. I think that no, actually this is this is fair. I just want to stop you because like these are such great points, and I want to make sure that we actually really dig into them because you're you're 100 correct. Both like. Datadog as well as the other ones. But let, let me just add a little bit of color. So um, most of the largest companies are both hybrid and have uh, their own infrastructure, almost all of them. If you look at it, if you actually just go to the hit list of the largest companies, like that's the case. So like, you know, we call it. Well, when they started out, cloud wasn't really a thing either. They also they predated 100%. the cloud in many respects. Stro strongly agree, but um, but they still tend to have this. You, you're totally agree. The second one is Datadog is actually pretty unique. It's one of the only companies ever that has had over 40% growth, um, over a billion dollars in revenue or close to a billion dollars in revenue, which is actually why we chose it because it's kind of the most liberal example that you could ever possibly choose because you couldn't argue with it. Where most software companies slow down. So I, I, I want to make sure I understand. So you, you think that... Um, that if you continue to invest, if you continue to invest in growth, you will grow infinitely, and therefore that's the right thing, and you shouldn't think about optimization. Is that is that the point? No, not at all. It's it's a question of uh, if you, if you were to invert this and say let's pick a, a group of companies that are that are um, going to the cloud from on prem. 
take Twitter, take um, you know Capital One, take these group of companies. Would you short those companies because they're making this crazy decision to go in on cloud? Like well, I, it, it's it, it, it's, well, it's 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 interesting. It's, it's interesting you mentioned like so a lot can of I, companies. Can I ask a question, Martin? Martin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please, please so, anybody can jump. Yeah, so 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 I guess I'm a little bit. I I I. I even though I work for VMware, I have a very sort of orthogonal view to the question of repatriation. To me, it's about being able to have the flexibility to use whatever infrastructure and to leverage to leverage uh, market competitive markets of infrastructure. So on-prem is not interesting. What's interesting is the ability to leverage different price economics, different kinds of infrastructure in a way that's easy to do. And so a lot of the discussion of cloud really boils down to, are you saying a single cloud vendor with a single set of APIs and infrastructure? Are you saying the ability to leverage multiple clouds? Are you saying the ability to say that, no, no, no matter how good that hardware is that could be delivered inside of that Equinix data center, I will not use it because it's not cloud. Like, There's a lot of gradations along this theme. And so when people go repatriation, it strikes me as a black or white argument. Either you've built everything yourself and you know it's yours, or you're using some right. one other... I, I view it as a little right, bit Right, because like, I, 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 I want to actually, like, Zach has got a great point, and I think we should actually kind of take this to the limit to actually find I want to find the fence post. Like, like where are the ends? Because it actually turns out, I'm not going to say which one, but some of the names that you've mentioned actually have moved uh, stuff on prep, for sure. Like, listen, I used to run a massive, massive software business where I worked with all of these guys, and I'm telling you, I've been involved in many, many repatriation efforts. Many, 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 many. Right? I mean, this is what I did, right? I was a GM of a massive PL. It, but but this is what we did. We just did enterprise software. So if you look at mature companies, many do this cost calculation and they'll say, oh, it turns out that if you have a lot of access um, of small objects in S3, it's very expensive. It's a core workload. Maybe we're going to do that ourselves. Like that, it's not just Dropbox. A number of companies do that. Other companies are like, it turns out like our core business is network services. It's very expensive to do that. So here's a small portion of our workload that we're going to take in-house. Like, do you think that, that that is crazy? So it's a public company. They've identified a core workload. Um, it impacts their economics, and they've decided to, to bring it in-house. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to find out, like, how zealotous Corey and Zach are <laughs> on, like, cloud is good and everything else is bad. I think it depends on this. So you talk about this uh, idea of um, um, Costatus is saying, you have, you know, talking about optimizing for, for hardware. If you're, if you're selling a product that is truly dependent on, on what – on the hardware or the margins are so tight that you yes. have to do it. You have to do it. Like, let's say, you know, you're, you're starting a quantum computer company, a com computing company. Obviously you can't just buy that off the shelf. It's dependent on the hardware. So there is a point at which you have to build your own hardware or buy different hardware, do something that AWS or GCP or Azure isn't going to do for you. But when we're talking about B2B SaaS, which is the focus of this, the, or, 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 or SaaS in general, the vast majority of SaaS is not dependent on the type of hardware that you're running. You're buying services. You are buying, you know, the illusion of hardware. You're buying the illusion of hardware by, what about by infra? API. Like what, what if you're Snowflake? What about infra? I mean, I actually I, disagree. I, I actually disagree. I think if you look at, like, if you look at most of these companies have, you know, like, massive network services, massive databases, and I think they're portions of the company that you could get a factor of 10 improvement if you repatriate. And actually, I mean, I know the, the, the biggest problem in this discussion, and maybe Corey, I, I actually want to pull you back into this because you've seen a lot of this, is there are so few people that are willing to speak publicly about it. <laughs> like, I don't know why that is. 
maybe you because AWS is terrifying. If I'm being honest with you, like they they love to uh, generally have partners not say certain things all the time. Well, I'm not a partner, so all they can really do is threaten to take away my birthday. And so far, that's proven <laughs> relatively ineffective. I'm not particularly zealous in this stuff. I think that when I speak when I speak about these things, I generally do it in, ter- in the general sense. There are always going to be specific use cases where a company has a lot more context into what they're doing and what they're trying to do than I do. So yeah, if you come up with an analysis internally that shows that what I'm saying in the general case is wrong, you are almost certainly correct and should proceed down that path. I have nothing to sell people. The problem I run into is people who read things like the article that you folks put out and decided, yeah, well, our, our bill's getting up there. It's almost $2,000 a month now, so we'd better look at building out a data center. And it's 100%. no, 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 no. 100%. I totally, I, I totally agree. Ben, you're going to say something? Yeah, I feel like there's, uh, like, from what I hear from, there's kind of two opposing views that I hear on this, and they're actually very related to kind of what I was mentioning on, like, bespoke workloads. So the first one is uh, we hear from a number of our customers about people who are actually running a lot of on-prem GPU workloads because GPUs uh, in, like, public cloud, one, it's, like, a p- capacity problem where you just can't get enough capacity for certain things that you're doing, and two, Ultimately, at the end of the day, for like training large workloads, it's like a price to performance ratio. So on one hand, you can save like a, a lot of money in certain, again, bespoke workloads there. However, there was in, an interesting conversation that I actually had earlier today where a company was attempting to, they had done all the analysis, they had purchased the hardware, and they were running some workloads on-prem as it relates to GPUs. And they were just seeing that they couldn't replicate the performance, actually, of some of these large public cloud providers. And from speaking with them, they understood, like, the the innovation that's happening on, like, the hardware side, actually, as it relates to AWS, GCP, Azure, is, like, beyond what these people could do uh, for performances. They, like, tried to do it on-prem. So kind of similar, similar use case, and depending on, like, the level of sensitivity that you have to this price performance ratio like it can make sense it can't not which is why this conversation is so interesting right (laughs) wait wait, wait, i want to take it to this so your your point is the clouds can like this is actually a very interesting point that zach has brought up in his tweet storm and others bring up which is a great point which is basically the clouds can do it better than you can no matter who you are and and get 30 percent margins on top of it yeah in certain again like i think this is like so specialized for like what the depending on what it is, right? Like GPUs and like training and inference there. And it's in a very expensive workload. Like that's one very special area, but you're seeing a lot yeah. of, I mean, you're seeing like TPUs from GCP and anyway. I, so I would actually like to dig into this. I think a lot of people believe this. I, I can't tell you how many people are like, hey, listen, you know, like the cloud folks like that, you know, um, talent isn't easy to find and they're so smart and this and that, which I, I actually, I just think that it's not true. <laughs> like, you know, like the on-prem business is enormous, you know, there's a lot of people that can do these types of things. You know, I think that you can hire teams that do this pretty well. Um, but I know, I know actually both Steve and Costados have very direct experience with this. So I think at least Steve, can you talk specifically to, is it hard to get the team to get the economics to do types of things? Or does like the big three have a monopoly on the talent and the technical know-how to do this? Definitely don't have the monopoly on the technical know-how and the talent to do this. But I think what one of the big myths out there is that the big three have this army of operations folks that are are, are so much more advanced than the operations and engineering folks that that companies can get access to. And what it what it more boils down to is they've done a very good job in automating from a software perspective a lot of the infrastructure management. 
And that a lot and of them have operationalized it and done. So that's right. The perfect honest. Yeah, no, they have. And, and I think, you know, one thing that I think we all agree on is that building data centers and running infrastructure on premises is hard. It's too hard. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, that I think that it is absolutely possible. There's a bunch of improvements that need to be made. Uh, it can't be a splintered ecosystem where you have to tie together five different vendors worth of hardware, software, monitoring gear, switches, all to try and replicate what Facebook has done a great job of and others have done a great job of, which is rack level infrastructure, co-designed hardware and software, uh, everything abstracted to an API endpoint so that their customers inside Facebook and in Amazon's case, rented out to the broader populace uh, can, from a software perspective, move fast and and consume that infrastructure. And so it, it, it absolutely is doable. I think for a lot of companies, it does not make sense because I think so, you know when we talk about companies that have the luxury of focusing purely on feature delivery, growth, um, and cost is down the list, um, that, and P&L is down the list, that the, you know, the public cloud, as long as geographically and from a latency perspective, meets your business requirements, is great. You know, I, if, I think part, part, part of the disconnect here is that you know uh, some of the the folks who are advocating for saying it's not that hard to to replicate. Or, Martin, uh, Martin, Martin is advocating. I think I'm the only one advocating this. <laughs> you can call well, me. Uh, it's okay. Saying, like, <laughs> Martin, it's like well, you're, you're you're talking about generic servers, and if you're if you're building software like like we built software in 2008, and you're using you know EC2 instances, and and you're spending a gazillion dollars a month um, with uh, with AWS, and just using you know generic servers. Sure, um, may, maybe you can go and you can replicate that. But when you start to get into, you know, the portfolio of services, that's what Amazon rolled out in 2006. You know, when you start to to look at things like uh, like uh, like queuing or IAM or uh, any of the security products or uh, hosted API gateways and all this stuff, and you're building software in a in a modern fashion where you're where you're using, you know, Amazon Web Services is a catalog of 300 or some odd web services that you can use to, to, to build software. If you're using just this, you know, basic vanilla EC2 instance, um, I, I agree that it's, that it's possible, um, that you can save a bunch of money and maybe achieve the same, the same awesome. sort of thing. But if awesome. I'm on the, if I'm on the board of, if I'm on the board of Dropbox, if I'm on the board of some company that's saying, look, we're not growing and we're going to go spend the next two years trying to save money by by uh, by by replacing um, our EC2 instances with something else. And I say, maybe you should be spending your time going out and figuring out how to grow again. Awesome. I, I love this. So I, I, I actually want to get to this um, point, Zach, but I would love Costados actually to talk about the talent as it exists to to run data centers, because I mean, basically, that's what Costadas and I sold into. And th and then I want to get to this specific point because I think it's a very good and relevant point. And I think you're actually right, Zach. So, Costadas, do you have anything to say about the? Yeah. So so the thing about the talent question is you know is a complicated one. So first of all, the, the world is a very large place with about 10 billion people, and so the assumption that any one company can have a hammer hold lock on all the talent is absurd. Well, but if our data centers is a hundred billion dollar market, man. It's, it's, it's no, a lot so, clearer. So, so, than that man it's huge right. like right right so so so, so i'm going to start off with the the argument that argument i don't believe and the second argument that I, I don't i don't accept the second argument assumes a level of complexity for the basic infrastructure that most applications needs that has not simplified in a decade 12 years ago setting up your own data center was an extraordinarily complex activity involving multiple vendors orchestration etc cetera, etc cetera. nowadays it's become a lot simpler and all, if all you want is a rack in a data center where you can install your software it's even easier to do that so i you know the thing that always 
bugs me in this conversation is that it's basically we're taking sort of these two extremes. We're saying, you know, AWS cloud, very hard to build on-prem can never build it. I'm like, yeah, maybe they can't build all of it, but there's a large amount of workloads that don't need all of AWS's infrastructure. There's a large amount of people who are doing very simple and basic things. And it turns out those services are, are easy to assemble and build and the, the, the simplicity of getting there has become easy and easier. That's my first point. And the second point that like, when I was do, when I, one of my challenges as a VSphere architect was literally how do I tackle the cloud? And the observation we made is that there's this inflection point between where you currently are and this cost thing that gets really in your way. And the question is, how do you make that transition? My view and was and is that you have to make it so that at, from day zero and onwards, the developer can pick technologies that give them flexibility if they ever reach that inflection point. And that's where I think there's like a seismic shift in the marketplace with that where we're starting to see developers being able to pick technologies which may in day zero only be applied to cloud zero but over time allow them to deliver to allow them to leverage portability and so i i don't see this as oh i'm doing everything uh multi i have to i must do everything hammer locked inside of the api ecosystem of vendor a because that's the only correct way to do it. I see it as, well, I can make certain choices early up front that'll give me a lot of flexibility and are actually the right choices to make up front. And then as that time goes by, the shift isn't that expensive. It's actually quite small. And if I'm two to three years out from that shift, great, because I'm leveraging the investments that are being made in that $100 billion market that everybody seems to think has no talent to get to the point where they are actually making it pretty easy for me to take those applications. So this this, this is why I kind of struggle with these arguments, because I don't see it as A or B. I see it as there are a lot of different choices, a lot of different opportunities, a lot of different focus, and there's a huge amount of talent and market dollars chasing to make this better. So so this is where I so sort of kind of get confused, I, I would say, in, in these discussions. So I think the Martin, if you if you don't mind, please, uh, please, 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 in, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you you look at like I think this is the the crux of it. There's so there's there's orders of magnitude more people from early stage startups who who read and listen to this sort of stuff than there are you know executives at at, at large you know Fortune 500 companies or whatever who are who are who are <laughs> thinking about this. Not for your use case. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> and and when I hear you know Twitter when I hear we can make we can make data centers. <laughs> make some decisions up front that are going to, uh, to, to, you know, make some decisions up front that are gonna that are gonna uh, make it easier to shift off off the cloud earlier, be portable, or something like that. It's you're you're making decisions to possibly save, you know, some percentage of cogs in the future, um, which is, you know, it's a, it's Zach, a, it's a I, it's fine. a limited saving in exchange for uncapped growth. Zach, that's not what I said, just to be clear. What I said was there are choices that you can make now with technology, which are the right choices when you're trying to build something up front. And those right those technologies will allow you later on in life to have flexibility to choose a different cloud provider when the AWS infrastructure team decides to shrink the number of buffers on the network card, thus causing your AWS cost to go from $3 to $3,000. Right? I mean, that's the kind of flexibility that the mm -hmm. modern software stack or, or gives you. If we didn't have ZCloud, we would have probably lost a number of our games would have lost money. But because we had invested in the flexibility, we were able to move it. And let me assure you that the cloud teams that were delivering features only saw a 30 minute downtime between the time they could add a feature and the time that the data, the cloud, the software moved on prem. So, awesome. so there was never there was never a delay in feature velocity. There was never a delay in our ability to execute to features. There, we we invested staggeringly in mobile games during that period. So that these discussions seem to sort of say A or B. I think a cleverly organized organization can solve for both. 
Okay, let me let me let me let me jump in just because I actually think Zach has a a, a great point that he said previously that I want to talk to. But before that, I know Ben has a great anecdote um, on uh, uh, that also underscores Zach's point. So maybe Ben, go talk about that, and then I'm going to go ahead and, and start to grill Corey and Zach uh, uh, on a specific <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah, I know, no, I think like what Zach mentioned is something. So like Costadas and what he's mentioning for like managing this on prem totally makes sense, right? But like. To, to what Zach was saying earlier on the suite of AWS services, I think is a, like a really important point that at least from like a customer perspective seems to jive. And I have an anecdote on this, which is like um, when working at DigitalOcean, we launched a high CPU offering where it was a better price to performance than like the, the compute intensive workloads on AWS. And we showed it, it had the data. And like when you actually dig into talking with some of these customers, of course, like no one's going to move their workloads over because they're so entwined with everything in the AWS ecosystem. And they get a lot of flack for this, but it actually makes a ton of sense where everyone's built into the, you know, roughly 250 services that they offer. And so even if you have a better price to performance ratio, which like a lot of this comes down to, right? People are so ingrained within this ecosystem uh, that it's like hard to put like the the cost of unwinding that for a certain workload to on-prem gets tricky. So that's just one thing that I that I saw. But I, I think Zach's point was like pretty spot on with with that. Yep. Yep. So I, I agree. I actually think that we should kind of poke at this one a little bit. So a very legitimate statement is that it's not that, you know, let's say AWS knows how to run a cloud and OpEx this and that. Like clearly there's, you know, a hundred billion dollars worth of market of people that are doing that today, but they have a ton of services. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and, and it's actually very meaningful that they can just focus on those tons of services. Um, and if you're buying into them, you're buying into all of those. And that's a clear, clear benefit, which is why I think this is really a dilemma of large companies. If you look at other markets, you know, the cloud is still pretty nascent. Let's be honest, right? Like we're all talking about like it's this foregone conclusion. It's still pretty nascent, right? Other markets, let's say the OEMs or actually I was talking with George um, Frazier, who's the uh, CEO of Fivetran, had a great point on this. Um, if you look at big pharma, at some point in time, markets mature. Um, and when they mature, like their innovation matters less just because the feature sets, like the 80% Pareto feature set tends to be pretty standard, right? Like in the case, like, listen, I'm a networking guy. I would say, even though Cisco is investing a ton in like building new switches and routers, like that's just not what people were using. And so maybe this is a question to you, Zach. I 100% agree that we're still in kind of like the growth of the cloud. Do you think at some point, or maybe Corey, do you think at some point the 80% useful feature set is going to basically mature and become commoditized? And, and if that happens, do you think it then makes sense for people to look at alternatives? Because I, I would I argue for some I, of the core services, this is already happening. Yeah, I would say you're getting a bit ahead of yourself too. Today, a majority of client spend is still on EC2. Add four more very baseline, very primitive services, and you're flirting with 75%. It, there's a very long tail of small scale services, but despite the things they talk about in the keynote stage, the majority of spend is still on the baseline primitives that I've got to level with you aren't that hard to replicate in a data center with in most respects. Wow. Corey, is that EC2, EBS, uh, S3? RDS, EBS, S3, RDS, and data transfer. Data right. transfer is the one that always gets you. All right, actually, listen, everyone. So, Ben, welcome. I actually don't know who you are, but on Twitter you said you wanted to yell, and we need more yelling. So can you please <laughs> can you please unmute and yell? 
Yeah. I, well, the yelling that I want to do is mostly that I that I think uh, the things Zach and Corey are talking about are somewhat different from the things that Costas and Ben and Steve are talking about some of the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's true. Um, oh, so you're saying I'm doing a bad job moderating. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, I think uh, serverless is often misunderstood. My name is Ben Kehoe. Um, I'm a uh, cloud architect at iRobot. Awesome. Um, and uh, the production cloud that supports Roomba is all serverless on AWS. Um, and so I come from very much the Zach school of things. And I think Corey just said, right, that there's a huge number of workloads that are on EC2 that are easy to move. Um, and that I think if you talk about that space of things, there's one calculus. And if you talk about the style of building that Zach is talking about where you go all in on the things um, that are on a given cloud provider, the benefits you gain that he's talking about in product development are immense. And but it isn't easy to move. It's not the case that you can replicate that on-prem in the same way. Because it's not about whether the operations engineers that you can hire are good or not. It's the experience that they get with the technology that they're using. If you, the, at a cloud provider, right, it's that technology day in, day out. And for most scales of things, it's only part of your job when you're doing something on-prem for a company whose purpose is something else. Great. Does that, Listen, all that sort of make sense? Listen, I'm so glad like you were a total rando and you're like super charismatic and articulate and smart. <laughs> so like thank you so much for, for joining. I think that's a very good perspective. But again, I want to pressure test it, which is um it's one thing. I mean, it's, it's, these almost become aphorisms, right? You're like, of course, cloud is good. Of course, somebody else doing is good. Of course, focusing on, you know, like um, uh, your core competency is good. It's very, very different if you're a large public company and 50% of your cogs is one line item. Like, it's, just, it's a different world. We're talking about it's billions of dollars. Instead of being able to have it across a bunch of different vendors, like with a data yeah. center, it goes to one company and it comes like clockwork. Uh, I, you know, that's it's, right. it's, it's been, it depends on where your company is, too. Take Dropbox as the great example, where it was absolutely the right move for them to move out because if they'd stayed there, they would have been able to potentially focus those resources on other things. What would they have built? Their terrible, terrible desktop application only years sooner. What we actually want from them is now being polluted with a whole bunch of collaboration features. And frankly, I wish they spent more time building more data centers. Maybe they could migrate back and forth a few more times before they cut with new features no one wants. I, I, I think, you know, uh, Martin, to your, to your please, point about please, please, please. Um, when, when you're talking about this um, uh, this question of, of, uh, of commoditization over time, like oh, you, you sort of when you look at a commodity market, what happens? Like the costs go down and the the margins compress of the of the people who are offering the commodities. And so obviously we're not in the stage. You know, you could say you know cloud providers are a commodity and and all these things, but the reality is that that customers are not voting saying that that it's a that it's a commodity. You could see the margins of, of AWS and and uh, and such are are, are, are quite good. Now, over time, as the as the as the feature sets start to stabilize. And maybe you know eighty percent of it is, is is overlap between everybody. Now you're going to see as the customer, you're going to see the the costs start to come down because they Wonderful. have to compete on costs. Whoa, 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 no, no, no. Okay, this is fantastic. So, okay, I'm so glad you brought this up. 
Um, again, I'm going to channel my good buddy George Frazier because I think this is interesting. So if you actually looked at, at at other oligopolies, like I listen, I think the big three are an oligopoly, meaning like this is not true competition. You've got three companies. Wholeheartedly that agree. Great. They control the majority of the market. Oligopolies don't do price dynamics um, the same as, as competitive markets, right? Let's take Big Pharma, for example. If you look at Big Pharma, the, 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 the oligopoly, they would rather actually lose market share than erode pricing just because of the dynamics of public markets. That's what they'd rather yeah, but you, do. You've got, you've, got, you've got pricing, you've got patent protection, and what happens when a drug goes off patent? The price plummets 99%. And why? So the reason is, is you've got companies like Dr. Reddy's that were actually built for low margin. Exactly right, Zach. So, so I think a t- like absolutely what could happen, and you're very correct, is we could have a Dr. Reddy's for the cloud, where somebody actually builds a, a cloud that is that is at, focused at 15% margins, not 30% margins, and they have these mature services. But again, like if, if you don't have in your future the idea of multi-cloud, you're not going to use the Dr. Reddy's for cloud. You're still going to be stuck to the 30% margin business. So it just goes to show you, I think, that like you should be thinking about this going forward. I think by the way, mis- Ben, feel free to jump in. Go ahead. There's Sorry. a there's a misconception that you that by that by building in this optionality into software today that you're going to be able to just plug in you know Dr. Reddy's of the cloud in the future. It's going to take a tremendous amount of work if you want to go from AWS and GCP to some you know um, uh, Kirkland brand cloud. Like that's going to be <laughs> difficult. Uh, and if you want to go from AWS to that, it's going to be difficult. Yes. Like it's, it's, yes. It's going to be hard no matter what. I think the fundamental misconception is that pe- that you're buying hardware from from AWS or GCP. GCP or Azure, you're buying software from them. You are buying a, a the illusion of a server via API, um, and, and there is quite a bit of differentiation in the long tail of services as opposed to the, the core workhorses that people are buying. I still want to know how categorical you are on this. Like, are you like on the record saying even if you're a public company that's slowing in 50% of your cogs, you should stay single source on AWS? Oh, look, you're on a lot more boards than, than I am. If I'm, <laughs> but if I'm on the board of a company who has that sort of a problem in in the software where software is booming and growing like crazy, and you know, as you all put it, software is eating the world, and they tell me, "Hey, we're going to go focus on costs," I'm going to tell them they're nuts. Like you know, I would care uh, less about actual, actual cogs and more about actual margins of what it is they're selling. No, no, hundred, no, I totally agree. So let's say, let's say, public company, let's say. Um, 50 to 80% of their COGS at AWS, you wouldn't say take 10 people and try and optimize that cost. Like that's, that's an obvious one, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, mean, okay. well, I, I would say, you know, re- refactor using these four services uh, that, that Corey said account for the vast majority of the spend and refactor to things that are cheaper. So you have no yeah, problem. Yeah, optimizing. for the big numbers and start there. Right. You have no problem optimizing costs. Your, your trigger is as soon as that, you know, means don't use AWS. Absolutely. Yeah. And, well, and I think you're seeing think the money's, to, the money's right. not to be saved by going from AWS to GCP or GCP to AWS. The money is to be saved by going from the expensive AWS or GCP services that are old to the newer ones that are cheaper. Yeah. And I think also you're seeing. Wait, wait, Steve, you can't agree with that. You... No, <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't okay, worry. please. Uh, no, I think what, what, what a lot of folks are looking at is it also a front end back end approach. And we've seen this play out uh, in my past with a with a half billion dollar year AWS customer, uh, where they did not want to lose the developer front end tools, Zach, that you're talking about, getting highly integrated into a bunch of different services. Um, but because these REITs have built out facilities with very low latency, high throughput capacity on the network, uh, a lot of folks are looking at taking those rudimentary EC2-like, EBS-like infrastructure services 
putting that back end in, in, in an environment where they can save 40, 50% because the cog saving is meaningful um, and retaining a portion of that application architecture, not maybe one application architecture in uh, a, a hybrid mode where you have cloud in the front end for parts of the applications, um, but there are aspects of the infrastructure that you actually can invest engineering and infrastructure in bringing down the blended cost of the service. The, the other thing that has been a starter that we have seen much more so than saving money is, again, getting closer to the customer. And, I, you know, Zach, I, in your business doesn't sound like uh, it is necessary to to operate outside of just the public cloud. But w- with some of these. Yeah, everyone's large- moving to Miami. They're not moving into AWS. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But it is uh, it is very much a, a case where these software platforms are needing to grow revenue and grow feature set by uh, being able to bring that platform closer to their customers in the enterprise. Great. If, so listen, if you cannot if you cannot ahead, offer sorry. your product without building something, then of course, like that, it, it would be it would be yep. crazy not to. But we're we're talking about it's fundamentally a different thing if you have to do something versus uh, in order to offer the product versus have to do something in order to save money. We'll have to do something to grow the business. Sure. Um, Listen, we're actually unfortunately out of time. Uh, Ben, uh, because you were so gracious to come up, I wonder if you have any uh, capstone comments um, before I wrap up. Sure. Yeah, I think the the thing that I was just thinking about this, uh, where Steve was mentioning, if you've got, oh, certain parts of your application that are serverless, that are making use of these very um, highly managed services that allow you to build things uh, very quickly with very low operational burden, and other parts of your app that have uh, um, that are EC2 based, uh, Kubernetes based, that are more easy to move into a hybrid mode. I think the question would become: Are you better off trying to lift and shift that back into hybrid or on-prem? as a COGS benefit, or are you better off trying to re-architect that into serverless so that all of those people that are working on that can work on more things, which is generally that benefit? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I do, I do want to say, which is, um, I do think for like all the companies that we focused on, they were all IPO'd in the last five years, which just tends to be growth. And if you're not investing in growth, of course, you're crazy. And that I totally agree, right? The problem is, is companies do slow down. And if you have billions of dollars that you can free up, you can invest that in growth, right? So this is a false dichotomy to say, um, you know, if you're repatriating, you're not investing in growth. It actually turns out that the numbers in our analysis show very clearly that if you can reduce cost, you free up a ton of money that you can reinvest into the growth of the business. That said, listen, this is clearly a complex topic. I appreciate everybody showing up and their perspectives. We'll probably do another one. Um, Thank you all for taking the time to do it. Ben, I appreciate you letting me pull you out of the crowd to come up here. Um, and with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, end the session. But appreciate it, everybody who joined, and we'll probably have another one. So thanks, all. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Thank you. See ya. Thank you.